does have it all. All of our pre-owned vehicles are Hubler Q certified, which include a 128-point vehicle inspection, a free Carfax vehicle history report, and two warranties. A two-year, 100,000-mile powertrain warranty and a 30-day, 1,000-mile comprehensive warranty. Visit any of our 13 locations today or click drivehubler.com. I-65 would be the road we'd take to get to Nashville, or to get there, we just simply talk to Joe Rexroad, who joins us from The Athletic to preview the Colts and the Titans on this, the Thursday road trip, brought to you by our friends at AAA. And Joe, I'll begin with this before we get to the football game. We just were talking about, last night I caught the tail end of a game where I believe you were, I've always wanted to go to a home game in Arkansas. I've been to a football game. I've been to Fayetteville, obviously, but never to a basketball game. Pretty good environment last night, right? Oh, I've never been there either. Oh, I'm about Arkansas Duke. Oh, sorry. Aaron, did you say – sorry, I thought you That's said my Joe. That's my my, my apologies, my Joe. Bad. Our next guest was at Arkansas <laughs> Duke last night. Have you ever been to Arkansas, Joe? Let me ask you that. Now you now you made me feel bad because that that is that's on my bucket list. I mean, I've it would be cool, right? SEC. Yeah, but, uh, no, that place is supposed to be ridiculous, and it looked like it was last night too. I was so kind of wondering. I'm like, me, that, it's on the list. I thought, man, he must be doing some SEC double dipping here. All right, so let's focus on Tennessee and <laughs> Indianapolis then on Sunday. My apologies. I I was thinking about this on the way in. Now that. And I think we knew that eventually probably the keys were going to be handed over to one of those two quarterbacks in Tennessee, right, with Ryan Tannehill's career in its twilight. How are they different with Will Levis than what they were, let's say, at the beginning of the year? Are they doing anything schematically different, or are they having Levis learn what they were already doing? Nah, not too different. I mean, really, when it comes down to with this team, it's – just trying to figure out some way to give a quarterback a remotely clean pocket, you know. So, I mean, it's it's a lot of the same stuff. It's the same run scheme. It's still a pretty heavy reliance on Derrick Henry. Although, again, I, I mean, I, I think the Titans, I think the Titans have had a case this year as the worst offensive line in the NFL. Although, having just seen the Carolina Panthers come in here Sunday, I I'm not going to give them the top spot anymore. But, yeah, in terms of scheme, I mean, they're doing basically the same stuff. Uh, and, look, Levis has been Levis has been impressive in terms of just operationally, you know, being able to, to run everything well. I think in a, lot of, in a lot of ways he doesn't look like a rookie out there. He's been good at the line of scrimmage and, uh, for the most part, been pretty impressive throwing the ball too. But, yeah, it's, it's a lot of the same. It's the same offense from Tannehill to Levis. Now, I would say that I'm going to ask you the dumbest question I'm going to ask, but clearly I let off with that, right? But, Joe, <laughs> is, is this now Levis's team? Excuse me. Is this Levis's team? Have they handed the keys for good? Well, I would say yes. Now, you know, it's one of those things where if he really struggles the rest of the way, and let's say they lose out, which is possible. Um, and they're in position to grab one of those QBs, and they're completely enamored with one of those QBs, and they're really high in the draft. You know, I, I can't say zero percent chance, but pretty much yes. Uh, they've been impressed with him. Again, I've been impressed with him. He's, you know, he comes out the first day and he's throwing bombs all over the field. He throws four touchdowns against Atlanta, and it hasn't been like that. But anybody who watches this team again knows the limitations. Not just a bad offensive line, but and I mean a really bad offensive line, but yeah, you, know, you got DeAndre Hopkins who has been good, and then whatever else 
out there, you know, trying to catch his passes. I mean, it, it's been it's been very it's a very difficult situation for a quarterback. I would say yes, but you know, there is. I mean, the, week the weekly information on him uh, is still, I think, important right now. Joe, at this point, where is the vibe within this team in the front office? Because you mentioned the thought of them looking towards the draft or looking towards here in a couple of weeks, whether or not it's another quarterback or a playmaker or wherever they decide to go. But in terms of positioning, they're in that kind of purgatory land nobody wants to be in where you're four and seven. There's a ton of teams that are already in the top five that you really need them to win out to be able to advance your own draft stock where where is their mentality right now at four and seven in terms of how they're approaching these final six games and I get it with coach Rabel like he's not taking games off but from a front office standpoint where is the vibe of the franchise with six games to go and not a lot to play for yeah it's a good question I mean obviously in the locker room I mean look Jeffrey Simmons they beat Carolina and he's talking about still catching Jacksonville Sunday you know (laughs) and that's one of the things I love about the NFL is that like you you know teams aren't tanking you know coaches and players they're not they go out here every week and get their bodies and brains battered in they're they're not tanking they're trying they're scratching and clawing to win every week but you know it's a good question on the front office and of course there's a lot of I mean I'm sure they'd love to have the best pick they can get but it's also, I mean, you know, Rand Carthon is a new GM, and he did not have what I would call a good first off season, at least in terms of free agency. I think the draft class actually looks okay. But you also have this different timelines thing going on with Vrabel, Carthon. They fired John Robinson, the GM, in season last year. So Vrabel gets more power. But now he has this new GM, and then now we have a lot of noise out of New England about the Patriots wanting to trade for Vrabel and people wondering about the Vrabel-Carthon relationship. And so all that stuff, there's a lot of distraction going on right now as well when you ask me about, like, what's the mindset. I mean, it's it's a really interesting, I think maybe a delicate situation. Um, I mean, right now I would still expect Vrabel to be the coach, and I would expect you know Carthon to be the GM, and if that's the case – this next offseason, wherever they pick, you know, they pick 6th, 12th, 8th, whatever, I mean, they're going to have more than $100 million in cap space. They have to do a major renovation of this team. There's no excuse that next year Will Levis should be running for his life again. No excuse for him to only be thrown to DeAndre Hopkins. So, you know, whatever, whatever they end up the rest of this season, I mean, what's coming for that front office is critically important. You know, sometimes, Joe, Joe Rex, Rex Road is our guest, excuse me, from The Athletic talking about the Titans. Sometimes with teams, one of two things happen. You know, you either just don't draft well, and so therefore your cupboard's kind of bare when guys age out, if you will. Or there are also times where you have veteran players that are so effective late in their career that the younger players just don't get a chance to kind of blend in. So when they fall off, all of a sudden you got guys that just haven't been there before. Which is it with Tennessee? Have they really faltered from a draft standpoint and they have young players that have gotten good reps but just not worked out? Or is it that you have guys that just are not used to the position they're in? Yeah, it's more of the former, just bad drafting. I mean, you, you look at the Titans, the 2019 season, you know, they make the, they, they make the switch to Tannehill. They get to the AFC title game. They're, they're one half from the Super Bowl. You know, they're, they're playing great at Kansas City. And, you know, Kansas City comes back. But, you know, that draft, they draft Isaiah Wilson in the first round, complete disaster. The next year they draft Caleb Farley in the first round and Dylan Radins in the second round, same thing. And – 
Yeah, and I can go through a lot of other picks at the end of John Robinson's tenure that just have been bad. And in some cases, you know, like Isaiah Wilson, that's an off-the-field thing more than anything. But for various reasons, just really bad drafting and bad free agency. And it's just a bad roster at this point. So, um, you know, you, you've got, like I said, I think this first draft for Rand Carthon was pretty good. But they have precious few young, promising players on this roster. You know, you got Roger McCreary, the good young corner. And I think Ty J. Spears, the back they drafted to, I think eventually replace Derrick Henry, is a very promising young player. But, you know, trail him. I mean, and, and along with that, the most disastrous move of all, of course, trading A.J. Brown, you know, when he's at the peak of his powers, when you have to give that guy a second deal and instead let him go to the Eagles and chase rings there. I mean, that's the, that's the move that got John Robinson fired. So it's just years of just poor management have – turn this roster to decay and you've got some guys in their prime who are still like Jeffrey Simmons is still very good you talk about older guys who are still good I mean Danico Autry has been a fantastic signing you know for the Titans uh, of course previously in Indy but it, it's it's turned into a very bad roster whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits long live listening to your favorites learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you our conversation with Joe from the Athletic in Nashville is brought to you by the way by AAA right now you can take advantage of a AAA membership discount. One-year AAA Classic membership and enjoy a whopping 50% off, and it practically pays for itself. You can always go to AAA.com or 844-GO-AAA-GO for a membership. Joe, I have always been a fan of the style of play of Derrick Henry. I just think that he is at times a game-changing or game-carrying back, if you will, his inconsistency, which it sounds weird to say this year because he's been really good, but has he slowing down at all, or is that, again, just an indictment of the line in front of him? It's kind of both things. He's you know he's a guy now who he gets some daylight, and he can easily rip off 30, 40 yards, but that used to be 80. You know, like he'd, he'd outrun the safety taking the right angle, you know, or sometimes the corner – and that doesn't happen anymore. You know, he, of course, he had the Jones fracture at Indianapolis a couple years ago, uh, came back, and has been you know, he's still really good. But he doesn't have that last gear that he had before the fracture. Uh, but most of his struggles this year in the inconsistent production is about the offensive line, and it's and it's about the whole offense. I mean, there's just so little to scare teams, along with the, the struggles up front. You know, DeAndre Hopkins, again, he's still a very good receiver, but no no one's terrified of him. I mean, A.J. Brown was a big part of Derrick Henry's success, too, because he was a legitimate number one receiver who could also take over a game. Without that, without protection, without protection, without just an effective, balanced offense, that's really hurt him. I, you know, I, he's going to end up with probably, you know, I don't know, 1,200 yards this year, something like that, probably still be in the top five in the in the rushing race. Um and then I think the Titans would be smart to try to re-sign him. I mean, the unfortunate reality for Derrick Henry is he's about to turn 30, and he's probably going to get an offer for what, like a year and $4 million or something, right? I mean, because Derrick Henry's a volume back, and, and I don't see teams out there wanting to build around him. I think he's probably going to transition to, like, goal line back. But he's still very, very good. And it, when he gets any kind of a seam, he can still 
really cause problems for a defense. Joe Rexrod covers the Titans for the Athletic. Joe, I don't mean to be too harsh here on him, but with Will Levis, what what has been, if any, the good that you've seen in him? Because when I look at him, again, I I didn't think that he was going to go in the first round like he kind of hoped that he would. I wasn't sure if he'd be able to be an NFL quarterback, but where I will tip the cap on him that I thought he would struggle is the turnovers, and I know he's had, what, two turnovers just in the last five games, but two clean slates in his last two. Where have been, if any, the positives that you've seen from Will Levis in this short five-game sample size? Yeah, I've been really impressed. And like I said, he comes out in his first game, and he's got a couple guys wide open and throws some touchdowns. Now, he did throw a a, 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 a touchdown to Nick Westbrook-Akine that was – like, whoa, yeah. I mean, how many guys can make that throw? He's got tremendous arm talent. Like I said, I, mean, I think he's got all the intangible. I think all the stuff about Levis and the pre-draft, I think some of that was just typical pre-draft BS. I understand people all put mayo in the coffee, but he's been good in the locker room. I think he's done it the right way. You know, the big, the two questions for me, like you said, the death picks, because he threw too many picks at Kentucky, and last year there are a lot of ugly performances. He also was hurt. He also had a terrible offensive line. He was a lot better the year before. But th- those picks and then just, just is he going to be consistently accurate enough? Like last week, he had a couple really key plays where, you know, the Titans aren't sweating out at the end if he just makes these throws. That, I don't know if they're quite layups, but they're throws you have to make as a pro quarterback. And he missed them. And he talked about that after the game. Like, those are throws. Like, I got to figure that out. Like, though, I, I have to hit those throws. So a little bit of the inaccuracy here and there. But, yeah, for the most part, he's thrown a couple, like, I guess you'd call them rookie passes, you know, where it's like, yeah, you can't, like, throw across your body like that and it's something you have to learn from. But for the most part, he has taken care of the ball. Overall, yeah, I have been impressed. So he's got an easy, um, you know, just he can can deliver, you know, all the throws with ease. uh, And he's big and athletic. We haven't really seen a ton of that. He's got a he's got a bum ankle right now, and so he, he's sort of limited with the mobility. But anybody who watched him in 2021 at Kentucky, I mean, he's a fast, athletic guy too. So I think there's a fair amount of optimism here about what he could become if he's supported correctly. If Tennessee is – like as the Colts are going down there to take on Tennessee on Sunday – Joe, if Tennessee's going to win this game, it's because it's because they are going to lean on what that they are doing well. Well, they're going to lean on their their pass rush, which has been by far the biggest disappointment of this season. I mean, we knew the offensive line was questionable and the receiving core and all that. You know, this defensive line was supposed to be elite. This pass rush was supposed to be elite. Now, it looked that way against Carolina. Like I said, I mean – I'm, that offensive line was bad. Then they had a couple injuries in the game, and I'm like, my goodness, that's an NFL offensive line right now. But Jeffrey Simmons is a legit player. Danico Autry wrecked the game last week. He's kind of been quiet. Arden Key has been silent a lot of this year. Harold Landry's coming off an ACL. He looked good. He's getting – you can see him getting stronger. The Titans have to dominate this game with their pass rush. And, you know, not let Zach Moss, who they called the next Le'Veon Bell after he trampled them the first time, you know, go off on them again. I mean, their rush defense kind of in tandem with the pass rush. It's just been a massive disappointment this year. Joe, if you get a chance, you should go to a game in Arkansas, by the way, basketball-wise. <laughs> Fabulous place, great arena. I, I highly – it's not a far drive from you, right? right on the other side of no, Memphis I, to get to Arkansas. Yeah. 
Yeah, in all seriousness, like that is on my list of. I, I've been to most SEC places by now, and I haven't been there. So, where, where did you go to school? Reminding me. I actually went to Michigan State, but I've been down here for seven years. So, Nashville's a cool town, man. A really cool town. I, I'm curious yeah. about this. Like, so if you live in Nashville, you know everybody goes to Nashville and they go to Broadway, right? And there's ten thousand bachelorette parties taking place, and school buses with no no like the the top cut out, and girls screaming and doing the whole deal, singing Miley Cyrus. Um, you personally, if you live in Nashville, how often do you actually go to Broadway? Is it only when friends from out of town come to visit? A hundred percent, a hundred percent. It's like okay, let's go see the Bleep Show for ten minutes, <laughs> and now you know. So yes, for anybody coming to town, Printers Alley is close to Broadway. Really cool places. Twelve South East Nashville West End, Germantown. Like there's so many cool areas, and that is the least cool. <laughs> Period. It, a Bleep Show is a safe way of saying it, Joe. A safe way. And I'll be honest with you. I, <laughs> hey, listen. A month ago, we would have guessed this game Sunday was going to be a Bleep Show, right? Between the Colts and Titans, but you know, <laughs> looks like it might be decent. We shall see. But Joe, I appreciate the time today. All right, guys, thanks for having me. Appreciate right, Joe it. Joe Rexford from the Athletic down in Nashville. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at kisqali.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Can you imagine? So. People want to know why Brandon Soresby, who I think played okay for Indiana this year, right? Had to wait until it was kind of his turn, didn't win the starting job out of the box, and then becomes the starter for Indiana. Yes, they struggled, but I don't know that you wouldn't. I mean, he, he at times showed some competency as a quarterback. He looked serviceable to solid given everything that he went through, That's which fair. is about all you could ask for. He looked like a guy that would start easily start at and i don't know maybe maybe it was the things around him held him back maybe that's true and maybe he goes somewhere and becomes a really nice player but for people that are looking at it and are like why in the world would brandon soresby announce that he's transferring from indiana and then matt rule comes out and goes you know to get a quarterback um (laughs) and the transfer portal cost you a million to two million (laughs) okay so then brandon soresby it costs 500 grand well Sign me up, right? Yeah. I transfer every year. Why not? Now, I'd like to think that, look, I'm not naive. The money matters. I'm not, I'm not, I am an optimist and I am a glass half full kind of guy, but I'm not naive to what has become of college sports with NIL. And I don't really have a problem with it because now everybody's on a, I mean, not fully level playing field, but like you understand what's at stake, what the rules are now. That said, I would still like to think that for most players, it is more so a instant gratification of it's not working out here. I want to go somewhere else where I am going to be treated better or I'm going to have better opportunities versus just the, oh, I'm getting money to go. Like, I think that still matters, but I would like to think it still matters situationally for your opportunity to go somewhere that's going to put right. you on a better platform. Yeah, I mean, you know, the... And I don't know at this point, when, when are we done with like the COVID transfer? So another, the COVID year the COVID of eligibility. Year, I think next season. Because, I mean, it is. So now a guy essentially gets, what, six years? Six Co- years to complete four? Correct. And you, are we done with the no penalty for transferring? Yeah. 
that's gone, right? Uh, no, you have one year where you can transfer and play immediately, but if you transfer a second time, you have to sit out a year. Okay. But you get the extra COVID year, right? Well, if you if you were in that span, right? Correct. That's done right, after. Right, right, right. You would have had to have been in college during COVID, I believe. Now, I've always wondered this. I've said this before on the air, and I, I, I get for the most part, I, I'm sure how this works, right? But if you play... <coughs> If I'm the excuse me, I'm the starting point guard for Indiana. Okay, we'll take Indiana out of it because we don't want to like people around here to you know. So I'm just going to pick a, a random school, uh, West Virginia. I'm the starting point guard for West Virginia. I play three years. I average 16 points, eight assists, and two uh, rebounds per game. I'm a nice, solid player. I'm a third team all. What league are they in now? Big 12 performer, right? Or yep. is, is West Virginia SEC? I think. I think it's Big 12. 12 it's still. Big 12 because I saw yeah. him play Kansas last year. Yes. So, I have a year of eligibility left. I'm going to transfer to Stanford. Palo Alto's I always thought nice. It's beautiful. Um, yeah, I always thought Tiger Woods was pretty cool. My favorite bird was my, my favorite baseball team is the Cardinals, and they're, they're the Cardinal. I'm all in on Stanford. Let's go. Okay. So, I go to Stanford. Yep. I take classes at Stanford, the most elite academic institution in America. And yes, I believe Stanford is the most elite academic institution in America. It's definitely up there. So do I graduate from Stanford? Or does Stanford say, well, I mean, it's great that you're playing basketball for us, but you've got to have 80% of your registered classes be from Stanford. What? Or does Stanford just say, no, we'll accept your, your, your credits from West Virginia because you're an athlete. Okay, well, now you're taking me down a path that I don't understand a ton, which is... I believe the credit transfer system is very fickle and like it, it depends on the school, how willing they are to accept credits. So if Stanford is because of their academic standards, less likely to take credits, then I would hope it's no, I would hope they're I not think, making an exception. I think a university by rule, and I don't think there's like, I don't know if there's like some universal rule with this, but I would think that if you have a degree from a university, that means that a certain percentage of your credits were accumulated by that university from that university. <laughs> I would. I mean, otherwise, wouldn't everybody transfer to Stanford for their senior year or Harvard? You still get accepted, right? What's that? As, as a as a non athlete, are you talking about an athlete? I'm talking about an athlete. Sorry, if okay. you're an athlete, thought, okay. if you're an athlete with a year of eligibility left, sure. Why would you not, in your final year of eligibility, transfer to an elite academic institution to secure a degree from said institution as opposed to a state university where you were before? Are these schools, and I don't know the answer to this, my assumption would be no, but are these schools making a transferable credit exception for players that are coming in for their final year and then awarding them a degree from that university? My assumption would be no. Otherwise, everybody, wouldn't Harvard's transfer portal be absolutely packed? Yeah, I played f four years at Abilene Christian, and then I transferred to Harvard, and now I've got a Harvard degree. <laughs> There's no way that that you know what I mean. I would think that you would have to stay and do like eighty percent of your credits at Harvard, but I, I don't know because they are athletes. Do they make exception to the rule of a normal student? I don't. I don't know the answer to that. I'm asking rhetorically to an extent. But joining us now in the program, and I'm sure thrilled to be joining that conversation. Uh, he is a college football, college athletics, really writer uh, and coverer for. Amongst other things, his own podcast and Fox Sports Radio. You can find him on Twitter at Aaron or Torres, T-O-R-R-E-S. And last night, Aaron, you in fact were at Bud Walton for Arkansas Duke, correct? 
I was. Can I actually hop in to that previous conversation? Because I actually, maybe I'm a nerd, but I find that conversation very interesting. Can I, I do, share some th- stuff? Aaron, stuff? listen, anybody that finds anything I say as interesting is not a nerd, <laughs> but actually a, a total badass. So, yes, have at. Well, well, no. A, a, well, first of all, I, I, I guess I appreciate the compliment. Am I? It, was that a compliment towards me or a compliment towards you? I'm not really sure. But Most things um, are compliment about me, but yes, go ahead. <laughs> No, so what I would say is it's really interesting, and and if you guys remember in the summer, um, Caleb Love, who's now at North Carolina, et cetera, Michigan, and basically didn't get admitted to school. And so I bring it up because uh, I kind of called around and I asked people, I was like, is that normal for um, you know for a school to just not admit somebody? And what I kind of found out was very interesting is that. Every school is a little bit different. Now, I think if you're, uh, you know, a thousand-yard receiver and you want to go to Alabama, Alabama is going to find a way to get you in. But it was interesting because, like, I talked to one school that was basically like, hey, we have some of the most competitive graduate programs in the country, and it's hard for us to get graduate students in. Like, we can get undergrads in, but the grad transfers are harder. And especially, you know, three, four years ago, when only – you know, only grad transfers were immediately eligible. It really put them in a bind where they felt like they were falling behind the eight ball. On the opposite side, uh, you know, I talked to another school that was like, listen, um, our undergrad degree, our our admissions process really values that. And so because of it, uh, exactly what you guys just said is basically if you're not going to do essentially basically like once you've started your junior year academically, that school wasn't going to let you in. Um, and, and let you kind of, quote-unquote, get a degree from their university. And I'm not talking – by the way, I'm not talking about, you know, Harvard or Northwestern or Stanford here. I'm talking about good academic institutions, but not – you know, I don't think what you would consider to be, like, the cream of the crop. So why I find it interesting is every school values everything a little bit different. Now, like I said, um, I don't uh, – again, if you're out, if you're a – great football player that wants to go to Alabama, wants to go to Georgia, that's probably a little bit different than a lot of other places. But like I said, it really is actually kind of a more interesting conversation than people would think. I don't know how the conversation initially began, but like I said, I I think it's a little bit more interesting than I think the average person might think. Aaron, here's to me what's fascinating, and this is what we were discussing. Let's say hypothetically that you are a college basketball player for, and I'm just going to say it generically, okay? Sure. Um, you know, state U, right? Just a, a nice, solid state university. You're a good, solid point guard, and you are a, a third-team all-conference player. And in your last year of eligibility, you decide that you're going to transfer to Stanford. Now, Stanford takes you, and you're playing as a grad transfer to Stanford, or not a grad transfer, but a transfer to Stanford where, theoretically, you're finishing your last year of school. Even if Stanford says to you, look, you're coming in here with 90 credit hours, but we're only accepting 10 of them, and to graduate from Stanford University, you need 108 additional credit hours, the reality is, as soon as you finish playing your last year of Stanford and you go out into the workforce, you might not even have a degree from there, but every place you're walking into in San Francisco, San Jose, and Monterey are like, oh, that's Jake Query, the guy from Stanford. And like theoretically, they think you're a Stanford guy. Advantage you, right? Yeah, I mean, I guess, first of all, the only thing that I would really say to that and to the reality that I've never had a job outside of the media, I've never really hired anybody other than people that I've kind of known personally, 
I would think if you don't have a degree, um, in most places, like, that does matter, right? Like, you can't just walk into J.P. Morgan, and even if the, even if there's a Stanford alum running the place, if you don't have the piece of paper, that you, you probably don't get that job. But I will say, I do think that um, the point that you bring up is a very important one that I think is kind of being lost in the transfer portal era. It's something that I know my buddy Doug Gottlieb has brought up quite a bit on Fox Sports Radio, is you know, sort of the advantage of going to these schools is the network that comes with it, um, you know, once you finish playing. And, and there is a finite number of players in all of these major sports that are going to make enough money where they are never going to have to work uh, any sort of job again. And, you know, I bring it up because uh, I, I do think that's an important thing in this transfer portal era that's kind of been lost on the play. Frankly, not only lost on the players, but it's been lost on the discourse in the conversation. Is you know, you go on social media and it's just well, I mean, Johnny Smith should be able to transfer without having to sit out and blah 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 blah. And it's like you have a bunch of idiots that don't really understand the consequences of talking about it. And so, just as a quick example, because I know I'm going long, but like I was thinking about this with Hunter Dickinson this past year. Like Hunter Dickinson. Uh, it's just do whatever you want. I don't really care. It doesn't really matter to me one way or the other. But, you know, you graduate from Michigan as a multiple-time All-American. You know, you go to the Elite Eight, you win a Big Ten championship. Even if the last year or two isn't good, you know, you, you still are. You're a Michigan man, and, you know, we've obviously learned the last couple of months of being a Michigan man means and how much they'll, they'll stick by each other. But now he goes to Kansas, and he's basically burned every bridge in Ann Arbor. Um, you know, I don't think unless he, like, leads Kansas to a national championship that he's going to be revered in Lawrence as just one of the guys that we all think of 50 years from now when we think of Kansas basketball. And so I think this is one of the real-world consequences of the portal era that not a lot of people talk about. So, again, you know, I, I, I know I went long there, but I think it's, it's one of those interesting college sports conversations that not a lot of people are having that probably should be if they're going to talk about, you know, NIL, portal, all that kind of stuff. Aaron, uh, Jimmy was just asking, college football playoff now, heading into the last weekend, barring chaos, do we have a good idea who the four are going to be? And I guess my question would be, is there any chance Pac-12 or Big Ten, either one, can get two teams in? Well, yeah, and I think, you know, that's the funny part as an outside observer. You know, I went to UConn, so, you know, uh, I hate to say it, but much like Indiana fans, much like Purdue fans, you know, we can all just kind of sit on the outside looking in. Um, You know, I I think there's a possibility just based on how the games go that, yes, I think you could get two uh, two teams from the Pac-12, two teams from the Big Ten. I think two teams potentially from the SEC if Alabama were to beat Georgia – But it all starts with basically the premise that everyone has talked about. I don't think it's a unique uh, take or perspective on my part. I think the playoff four is largely going to be determined by does Texas win the Big 12 and does Florida State win the the ACC? Because, listen, Florida State, I feel bad. I picked them to make the playoff in the preseason. But if you're 12-1 and and you're not the ACC champion, I don't think you have much of a resume without Jordan Travis. Now, if you're a 13-0 ACC champ, I absolutely think you do. So when you start getting into the two teams from the Big Ten with an Ohio State sneaking back in, maybe a Washington, as you guys alluded to, if they were to lose to Oregon, even Georgia, I do think it stems from those two games specifically. Will there be a ACC representative? Will there be a Big 12 representative? Obviously, it goes without saying if, if Texas loses 
as a two-loss team they wouldn't be in, just like I don't think Florida State would be in if they lose either. Aaron, it appears as though Indiana may be narrowing in on a head football coach, and they may be pulling him out of Virginia and talking about James Madison. If that's the case, and Indiana is close to a deal with Kurt Signetti, tell me what kind of guy they're getting. Yeah, you know, listen, I've been so impressed with them, just that transition from the FCS to the FBS, because what stands out to me is the things that, like, the things that helped James Madison win at the FCS level to the FBS level stayed the same. Good defense, turnover margin, discipline, all the things that I think any Indiana fan, you know, would be looking at in their next head coach. And so if he is the guy, I think it's a heck of a hire just because, um, you know, the the winning formula is clearly there. And I hate to be cliche, but I think an Indiana fan understands it. Um, it can't just be about, you know, this is the blueprint in recruiting because obviously, you know, you're going up against an Ohio State, a Michigan, and certainly a USC, a, a Oregon, who probably from a recruiting perspective have some advantages that Indiana don't. So what I would want to see if I was an Indiana fan bluntly is a guy that has a blueprint to win, a blueprint to build a program. Um, and, and frankly, again, those little things that carry the way uh, over the course of a season and in close games. And so if he is the guy that is a heck of a hire, we've all kind of at least loosely followed the James Madison story this year, and that would be a heck of a snag as Indiana obviously heads into the new era of the Big Ten next year and starting over, and I think would be starting over in a really good place. At Aaron Torres Pod, that's T-O-R-R-E-S, is where you can hear the podcast, Fox Sports Radio, of course, as always, and at Aaron underscore Torres on X, Twitter, whatever you want to call it. Aaron, appreciate the time and the insights. No problem, guys. Apologize for a little technical difficulties. Thank you. Have a great day, guys. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. It's turned into a big news day here in central Indiana on a Thursday. How are you? My name is Jake Query. Jimmy Cook, the other voice you hear on this program. Eddie Garrison is the company CEO running the board for us. And joining us now on the hotline, he, of course, his voice immediately recognizable from his coverage and anchoring of the Big Ten Network and a friend over the course of the years, especially this time of year where the Big Ten football championship comes to Indianapolis, Iowa, and Michigan on their way here. Dave Rebson joins us. Dave, how are you? I'm great. What's up, Jake? Jimmy, good to talk to you guys. Uh, likewise, it's you know I'm sure you saw the news that it appears as though, and I don't know necessarily that ink is to paper just yet, but in the last half hour or so, Dave, uh, several places, including our friend Zach Osterman at the Indianapolis Star, now saying that James Madison's Kurt Signetti is in line to become the next head football coach at Indiana. Let's assume that that comes to fruition and that is a done deal or becomes a done deal. Just your overall thoughts first off on that. Yeah, I started to kind of really look into him yesterday when it, it started to circulate that, you know, maybe he was one of the leaders for this job. And, man, I mean, it just seems like a a really good fit to me. Um, a guy who everywhere he has been, he's won – and he's turned everywhere around, right? I mean, you know, none of these places were were in great shape uh, when he when he got there. Uh, I, I guess James Madison was good, not great, but but he won seven more games the, the first year than they had the previous year. But Elon, and then you know, he was at Indiana University of Pennsylvania, coincidentally, and and man, both of them were not good. 
before he arrived, and he very quickly became a winner. So I guess, you know, to me, that's what IU needs. Uh, so I think that's that part of it is is makes a lot of sense. And uh, and then you look at the connections through the years. I mean, being recruiting coordinator for Nick Saban. I mean, they know a little bit about about recruiting uh, in the with uh, with the Crimson Tide. So I, I think there's just a lot to like about this. It it makes a lot of sense, and um, I'd be fired up if I were a Hoosier fan for sure. You know, the thing, Dave, let me ask you this, and maybe we don't know this because we don't know exactly what roster he's going to inherit, right? I mean, probably his first job is going to be recruiting the locker room itself. Um, And let's just speak hypothetically, Dave Rebson, as if this is going to be the case and Signetti's going to be the coach. Um, Indiana, to me, didn't seem totally void of talent. I think Tom Allen is a really decent human being, Dave, but as I've said, it just seemed like from a coaching standpoint, they weren't fundamentally sound towards the end of games in particular. I don't I'm not sitting here saying Indiana has the depth of a Michigan or an Ohio State, obviously, but I think they have some players. Uh, am I overselling the talent level that Indiana has that he theoretically could inherit? Well, the portal's going to be a huge deal, obviously. I mean, they're going to have to figure out how to keep some of these guys whose names have gone into the portal, Donovan, McCauley, and Brendan Soresby on the offensive side being the most obvious ones, but got some some good players on both sides of the ball that over these last few days have said they're moving on. So that's a a big part of it. I mean, Donovan McCauley is, yeah, like he's a really talented guy. I mean, he's an NFL wide receiver. Brendan Soresby, I thought by the end of the year, was kind of on average playing, you know, maybe as the third or fifth, fourth best quarterback in the Big Ten. I mean, I, you know, I like his skill set a lot. So I think there are a lot of things to kind of like about this IU roster. You know, you bring it up, Jake. Depth's always going to be an issue with them, and and it. But it, it felt like these last couple of years, you know, Tom was just kind of patching holes, and I, I thought he did a great job with some of the guys he brought in in the portal. Andre Carter would be the obvious one this year where. You know, we saw him at camp and we're just like, wow, I mean, you know, he's really good and he's going to help them. And they had a very good year. But I do think, you know, there's going to have to be that balancing act of, of recruiting the portal hard, but also developing and retaining players. And when you talk to coaches today, like the big thing is retention. It was interesting. We had David Braun on when he got Big Ten Coach of the Year the other day. And, and he said something. I hadn't heard it put exactly this way. But he said, you have to have a situation, obviously, in his case at Northwestern, but I think this holds for Indiana as well, where the players you bring in end up playing their best football at your school. And, you know, their best football in college at your school. And and so that, to me, is is the big challenge for places like Indiana and Northwestern and places aren't going to get ready-made players. So, yeah, and I did Tom Allen fall short in that? It kind of felt like he did there toward the end. Um you know, I think he just never totally got the offense where he wanted it to be after Kayla DeBoer left. I think that was a big part of it. He just lost some really good coordinators, and it just felt like he, he never totally replaced them to his satisfaction. And and that's, you know, that's what this is about. It's about having a really good staff. That's it's a huge part of the equation. And, and just for whatever reason, I don't think he was able to, to get it back to where they had been when you know there was a point there where he felt like he had really good coordinators on both sides of the ball. Big Ten Network's Dave Revson, nice enough to take some time with us here on Qu- Query and Company. Kurt Signetti 
potentially the new head coach being reported by multiple sources of Indiana football. But as Jake mentioned, not pen to paper just yet. Dave, you mentioned where he's been in the past. And when you look at those programs, IU Pennsylvania, Elon, James Madison, I don't want to call them like broken programs at the time, but they did not have the level of success previously up until he arrives. When you look at Indiana, and I know it's a whole different animal because it's the Big Ten, it's a bigger conference. He's not a stranger to big conferences, but certainly the biggest job he's had as a head coach. I don't want to put too much on him before, A, the ink is dry, or B, he gets there. But where are realistic expectations over, let's say, a three-year window for what IU football wants to be in this next chapter with Kurt Signetti? Well, I'll just say this, Jimmy, and I don't want to put anyone in a, in a bad spot here or build up expectations, but rebuilds are different than they used to be. I mean, the portal does give you the opportunity, if you handle it the right way, to compete at a higher level right away. Now, you've got to hit some home runs with the guys you get. But, I mean, you know, there are Kenneth Walker the thirds out there, and you look at the impact he made at Michigan State, like, right away. And, and so I'm not necessarily saying that that can happen at IU. I'm just saying it's not out of the question that that kind of thing can happen. I don't think you have to look at it the way that we did even five, seven years ago, where you just say, well, you know, you're going to build, and you have to recruit, and you have to bring your guys in there. Can you turn it around right away? I mean, I, you know, I think it's hard to turn it around right away because there's going to be the natural attrition of, of players leaving. I mean, the portal works in both directions. But I just don't think it's unreasonable to think that in a, a couple of years, you could be a team that's competing somewhere toward the middle. I mean, I feel like that has to be the goal for Indiana. The, the goal isn't – I mean, it'd be great if you have a season like you did in 2020 where – lo and behold, there you are, and you're you know in the top 15 nationally and, and have a really good team. And, and I think the goal is to have that happen occasionally. Yeah, I, be Rutgers, I think right? On, yeah. What's that? I mean, Dave, I've, I've always said with Indiana, you know, be Rutgers, be, be Minnesota, you know, a team that, that is competitive and then every couple of years has a senior-laden team that makes a nice run and goes to a bowl game. I think Indiana is happy with that, right? Yes. Yeah, I think Minnesota is a great comparison. You look at what P.J. Fleck has done there. They didn't have a great year this year, a little disappointing, five and seven. Indiana would take that as a disappointing year, right? Correct. Five and seven would be a great disappointing year. They'd love to be disappointed by five and seven. So, yeah, I think that's kind of a – that's a reasonable comparison of of where IU can be. I I do think Minnesota has a few advantages over Indiana, but I don't think like a myriad of advantages – I don't know much about most of the programs where Kurt Signetti's been, but I'm assuming that Elon has unlimited budget, right? They think outside the box, polarizing, <laughs> unlimited funds. That We know that much about that program, right? Yes. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the, yeah I, don't, I don't know a ton about it either. But, right, I mean, that's the – look, I, I will say James Madison historically has been a really competitive program at the FCS level. And, and so, you know, I, uh, I, I don't want to understate, like, kind of – you know, JMU is, is not as difficult – a job on its level as Indiana probably is on its Correct. level. But, but the fact that right away, you know, they made this transition and right away he's got them as good as they are. I mean, that tells you something. It means he was recruiting above his level. So, yeah, I mean, look, I, I do think this is going to be a, a different animal, but I just, I love the fact, again, I love the fact he worked with Nick Saban. I just think you look through the years at the coaching tree there and it just seems like guys learn a lot when they're around 
Saban. And, and you could go down through the list up to and including the guy who's won the last two national championships and Kirby Smart. I mean, there's just something about being around Saban and the way that he thinks that I think has helped these guys. But again, you know, that uh, there's other power five experience that he's had. He was at NC State. He was at Pitt. So I, I like kind of this mix of experience. But I like the fact that he's been at, you know, places where you did have to maybe think a little bit differently and, and where you weren't the most heavily resourced program around. Because, I, you know, that is the situation that, that IU finds itself in. You don't have the advantages that, that some of the other schools in the Big Ten have. It's just the reality of, of where they fall in the pecking order. But that doesn't mean, again, to your point, you can't be Minnesota, a team that more often than not, Makes a bowl game. Switching gears with Dave Rebson, who, of course, is anchor host for the Big Ten Network, for the primary reason, Dave, where I'd reached out to you about coming on today, and that is, you know, it's it's a great time this weekend to be around the atmosphere of the Big Ten Championship. Uh, I strongly encourage folks to find the bar where there's Michigan fans and put on um, Mr. Brightside on the jukebox and watch the crowd go bonkers. It's actually – and I'm being serious. <laughs> it was fun. I did that last yeah. year. But is there a chance – that the Big Ten can still get two in? Because I have this weird feeling that Ohio State could still find their way in, but what would have to happen, or is Ohio State out when we're talking about the college football playoff? No, I think they could get in. I think they'd really have to kind of thread a needle. I think two things would have to happen. Uh, Florida State would have to lose to Louisville, which I think is utterly conceivable. I mean, particularly – with the injury at the quarterback spot Correct. for FSU and, and people in Indiana don't need to be told about Jeff Brom as an underdog and, and all that. The other one I think is a little bit tougher. I think Oklahoma State probably has to beat Texas for them to get in. Um, and I think that's a little bit more challenging, actually significantly more challenging. Oklahoma State's been a really weird team this year. They've been up and down. They've, they've lost some strange games. They've obviously won a couple of really good ones as well. But those, to me, like if those two are out of the way and then everything else kind of holds form, you know, like Georgia wins and so you get Alabama down at, at two losses, Michigan wins, you know, kind of you go through the, the favorites winning everywhere else. And I think it's a Washington Pac-12, whoever wins, I don't think it's going to impact it. those teams, whichever one wins will be in. But I think like if you're Ohio State looking to get that fourth spot, I think that's kind of the path you need to navigate. See, it's interesting to me if it comes down to, and, and I mean, Dave, let's be honest, this is like barstool fodder till the cows come home, right? Of analyzing the teams. But if it comes down between Texas and Ohio State, for example, Texas probably, Texas's loss is to Oklahoma. Ohio State's is at Michigan. Ohio State has the less egregious loss, but I think Texas, because of their win at Alabama, has the far more impressive feather in the cap than does Ohio State. And I guess it just comes down to which the committee looks at more, right? Well, I also think they always kind of defer to, are you a conference champ? And so I think in yeah. that scenario, Texas would be a conference champion. And I do think that that gives you a leg up. It's supposed to in the criteria, although as we have learned in the years that we've watched them go through this, the criteria is an ever-evolving uh, set of, of rules, and it feels like it changes to suit their convenience on a year-in and year-out basis. But my feeling is, yeah, I mean, you went to Alabama and you won, whereas, again, Ohio State, when they went to Michigan in their toughest game, they didn't win. And then I think kind of being a conference champ is, is probably that. To me, that would be the tiebreaker. Again, I, I – Part of it is you have to see how it happens. Like, does Texas blow Oklahoma State out? 
Are they fortunate to win? I, you know, part of it is, is what does the game actually look like? Dave Rebson of Big Ten Network is our guest. Dave, you mentioned teams being in the middle of the conference and that being a, a, a decent expectation goal for, for IU at times as they rebuild. When you look big picture, though, at the conference, and I've been thinking about this all week, first, am I wrong in saying that it's conf- or it's uh, divisionless next year? Is that right? No, it is divisionless. Yeah, okay. divisionless going forward. So yeah. what does that do for programs like Iowa, who, like, if we're being realistic, I don't mean to, you know, poo-poo them, but with this influx of talent and the divisions going away, this is likely their last Big Ten championship game appearance for quite some time. What does it do for schools that are in the middle to, like, higher end but aren't at the top of the conference when you go Ohio State, Michigan, and then throw in USC and Oregon? Like, what, what happens to those teams? I think it's going to be hard, Jimmy, and we've talked a lot about this. I mean, the Big Ten West, and you can say what you will about the Big Ten West, but what the Big Ten West has done is it has given schools, I mean, you know, Iowa at times has been a really good program historically, and I would not totally rule out the possibility of Iowa playing in a Big Ten championship game, but, like, let's use Northwestern. Northwestern's been in the Big Ten championship game twice. Let's use Purdue making it last year. I think it's going to be really hard for schools like that to make it again. Um, and those are really good moments for their fan bases. I don't need to tell you guys, Purdue fans were excited last year to, to go to Indy. Northwestern fans were ecstatic to, to go there. It's a shame. Like, Illinois was in the driver's seat for a while last year before it fell apart. Like, I don't know that Illinois is going to have another chance as good as they had last season to, to make it again. I mean, maybe, you know, again, like – Illinois has won the Big Ten before. Northwestern's won the Big Ten before. Purdue's won it. I mean, it's not to say these programs couldn't if everything kind of, you know, you catch lightning in a bottle. But I just think it's hard. I mean, they're again, you look at Ohio State and Michigan and Penn State and Oregon and USC and Washington and, you know, kind of how some of these programs have been through the years in Wisconsin. Like, I just think it's it might be hard for the, you know, pick your school, Iowa, Purdue, whoever it is, of the world to, to get back. And, and it's up to you to decide whether that's a good thing or a bad thing. I mean, you know, the idea behind it is to maximize your chances of getting as many teams as possible in the college football playoff. Like that's the notion behind it as to what's lost. I mean, I think that's in the eye of the beholder. And, and some people would look at that and say, man, I love seeing a team like Purdue in the big 10 championship game. And others might say, no, I want the two best teams and, I want the league to put its best foot forward. Dave, one thing I know about you is that you drink a lot of coffee, if I'm not mistaken, like kind of start your day. Uh, I know from when – I'm not a coffee drinker, but when I was on vacation recently, I'd go and get Shannon a coffee every morning, and I had to get that little sleeve dealio so that I didn't burn my hand while holding the coffee. Right. So when you come and, and I don't I don't expect you to do this in Chicago. I mean I'm not a fool, but when you come to Indy for the Big Ten Championship, do, instead of a sleeve, do you still use the Query and Schultz koozie that you were given like ten <laughs> years ago? I, I I'm pretty sure I saw you throw it away. You claim you kept no. it. No, no, no. I well the throwing away thing is is just it it rips me apart inside. And <laughs> you think I would do that? Uh-huh. But I think you know we have had it now. I mean it's been encased for quite some time. Right. In a, in a protective, you know, it's, it's in a, it's like in a protective box, a plastic box. It sits atop our mantle 
And so I would never think well, to bring listen, that. To our me. last employer yeah. made sure it became a collector's item, right? So, I mean, it worked out for you, right? <laughs> I mean, put that bad boy on eBay, Dave, <laughs> right? You'll, you'll be down here, though, right? Yes, coming down later tonight. I'm uh, looking forward to it. Tell me real quick the Big Ten coverage for the Big Ten football championship. Oh, man, we got all kinds of good stuff. We got uh, Big Ten today. In fact, I'm writing down the schedule right now just so I – because I'm, I'm getting so old, Jake, and you and I are the same age that I need to have, like, a list to remind myself where to go, right? Because otherwise I'd just be sitting in my room, like, you know, vegetating, and all of a sudden I'd realize that, that I was supposed to be on on uh, television. So we've got um, noon Eastern time tomorrow – Big Ten today, live from Lucas Oil. We've got uh, a big show tomorrow night where we'll do some stuff. And then we would strongly encourage fans to come out at, I want to say, 2 o'clock Eastern time. I think it's 2 to 4 Eastern time on Saturday. Go to the Fan Fest, and you can watch the show live, Big Ten Tailgate Live, or in between the, the two basketball games. A great weekend of basketball, including both IU and Purdue on the Big Ten Network and conference games tomorrow night. So, uh, yeah, but we're uh, we're all over it. And then, of course, when the game's over, you flip it back on over, and we've got all the post-game reaction from live on the field. Appreciate the time as always, Dave. Travel safe and enjoy Indianapolis, all right? All right, great to talk to you, Jake. Take care, Jimmy. Likewise. Dave Revson of the Big Ten Network. Do you... Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Prefer concrete or aggregate, Jimmy? Big aggregate guy. Good, because yeah. I, I'm more of a concrete guy. Yeah. Because I like concrete evidence of things, and aggregate to me sounds too much like geometry or algebra. I only care, though, honestly, either one of them, if they're experts, which they are at shelving materials, which is great. Well, that's the thing. I yeah. mean, obviously, yep. you and I, uh, not either of those two things, so we rely on shelving materials Indeed. for exactly yep. that. We also rely on them to facilitate for us to talk to Matt Taylor each and every week, the voice of the Indianapolis Colts getting set for the Titans are the Colts and, as well, Matt Taylor for this Sunday. Matt, I'll begin with this. I liked this, and I wanted you to kind of shed light on how different, if at all, this is from years past. But Shane Steichen yesterday saying that the Colts are now going to start kind of sliding more towards Wednesday being walkthrough days to kind of ease back into the end of the week getting set for teams. I like that because I think it keeps guys as fresh as you can expect them to be this time of year does this seem to be atypical from what you have seen in years past i wouldn't say it's incredibly atypical um you know it it, it it's it happens um but you know i think you're going to see shane like you said yesterday kind of trend uh towards you know wednesday being kind of a more of a mental day than a physical day you know early in the season wednesday is the big heavy install day from the game plan it's kind of the the day in which you go full pads, kind of the, the closest thing to full throttle in practice uh, before a game on Sunday. Um, but you're right. It's kind of an extra day off for the guys and keeps them healthy, keeps them fresh. I mean, you know, you're at week 13 of the season, man. Everybody's really kind of screwed up from a body standpoint. No matter how much you play, you got your little, you know, your, your, your tiny stuff that don't show up on the injury report. Everybody's dealing with that kind of stuff. So, to give them an extra extra day off the, this late in the season makes a lot of sense to me and also keeps them fresh. And it also uh, Wednesday acts then as kind of a, a major mental day for guys to dive into the playbook, 
you know, pour over the game plan and really kind of jumpstart it, um, you know, for Thursday's practice. And most guys will tell you anyways, when you play, when you play 60 to 70 snaps in a game on, on Sundays, your body's not right until about Thursday anyways. Um, so let's have, you know, a good, crisp, efficient practice on Thursday when you start to feel good anyways, instead of a kind of sluggish one that you're just trying to get through physically on Wednesday, um, knowing that your body's not 100% recovered from, you know, all those hits and, you know, all those big moments you had three or four days before that. Voice the Colts, Matt Taylor is our guest, brought to you by Shelly Materials, the concrete and aggregate experts. Matt, I love a good weird stat. Weird stats are some of my favorite things in sports, and I'd like to get your raw emotion reaction to a weird stat. Are you ready? Let's go. Now clarify this for me. Your first season as the full-time voice of the Colts was 2019, correct? Uh, well, I did I did the entire 18 Right, season. right. Right, yes, but right, but but yeah. but officially on on paper they had the announcement and everything in nineteen. Correct. You were Jeff Saturday in twenty eighteen, right? <laughs> <laughs> I was Jeff Saturday for a full seventeen weeks. Yeah, yes. okay, yeah, yeah. That's an important distinction there, and you kept the job. I'd argue is also an important distinction. I bring that up because are you aware that on Sunday the Colts are going for their first four game winning streak since you were officially named in full time capacity voice of the Colts. I did know that. I did know that. Yep. They, I think 2018, when they won nine of 10 yep. down the stretch, you know, they started so poorly that year. One was started out one and five and then, you know, figured some things out and, and made the playoffs and won a playoff game that year in 18. But yeah, you're right. Since then, they haven't won four in a row. And this is their first three game winning streak, in fact, since December of 2021. And even more weird, I suppose, is the fact that. You know the Colts are four and one uh, on the road this year. They're two and four at home, which is bizarre. And if they win on Sunday, they'll be five and one. Obviously on the road, it'll be their best start to a season on the road since 2009. So I took your weird stat and I made it even weirder. <laughs> Thank you for that, Matt. I'll be Debbie Downer here. So, or more just Ricky Realist, I guess. Nice. <laughs> when you look at the three-game streak, are there are would you say it's more that there are areas that the Colts have shored up and you've really been impressed by what they've done, or is part of that realistically the schedule of those three games? And kudos to them for doing what they had to do. I mean, don't get me wrong. But have, they, right. really like, have they really narrowed in a little bit, or were they also just they didn't self-inflict when they had weaker opponents on the field? No, I mean, listen, you're right. I mean, listen, the the Panthers and the Patriots and Tampa Bay, I mean, I think Tampa Bay's better than the previous two, but, you know, they still came into that game under 500 and, um, you know, they play in a bad division. So, no, you're right. You, 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 you never apologize for winning in the NFL, but you always have to understand that in a win, you can get better and you can still, you know, create, you know, advantages and, and try to establish an edge um, the week about you, um, or I should say about yourself, the week after getting a victory. And, yeah, I mean, the, the Panthers and the Patriots, you know, they're not going to be confused with the best teams in the NFL, but those are two road wins, and there's something to be said for, you know, taking care of business on the road. One of those games was in Germany, right? So you had a lot of logistics and some adversity, you know, getting that win. So, no, I mean, there is, there is still concern. I mean, personally for me in, in the next six games, I still on offense. I want to see the tight ends getting more involved than the degree that they're involved right now. I mean, 
you know, Kylan Granson has only one catch in the last three games. Drew Ogletree has been banged up. He's been in and out of the lineup. He's missed the last two. Um, you know, Will Mallory's still a rookie. You know, he's targeted a lot when he's out there, but, you know, you're not seeing explosive plays from the tight ends. Really right now in the passing game, it is, you know, it's Michael Pittman Jr. I mean, it's crazy that, I mean, Pittman's averaging 10, over 10 targets uh, in the last five games. So it's really Pittman and it's it's downs, uh, you know, in terms of where Gardner Minshew's going with the football. Obviously, the, the running game is healthy right now between um, Taylor and Moss, although obviously, you know, you're going to see that uh, be turned over to Zach Moss here in the interim. Um, and then defensively, you know, it, they're winning games, but when you have the 32nd rushing offense rush for 125 on you uh, at your place, you, you got to get that figured out. And they know it. You know, Gus Bradley talked about that this week. I mean, the Colts have allowed, without Grover Stewart, and, and this is going to be the, the sixth and final game of his suspension coming up on Sunday, so it's kind of bad timing, right? When you when you face Derrick Henry, you want to have Grover Stewart, which the Colts did back in week five, and they did a good job on him in that game. He only had 43 yards rushing. But the point is, in the five games without Grover Stewart, Jake, they're giving up on average 148 rushing yards a game. And they've been over 125 yards allowed in five straight games. And the last time they did that as a franchise, I think you were covering the Colts back then. That was the 2006 team that went on to win the Super Bowl. But that was a huge you know, chink in their armor. And they got that figured out heading into the playoffs that year. So, I mean, historically, it hasn't been done um, too often, and the Colts are kind of flirting with a dubious stat right there. So they they've got to get those things figured out. They're they're winning in spite of those things, but you know this is a huge game for the Colts because it's, it's a division game. But more importantly, right now in terms of where they're at in the playoff uh, pecking order, it's an AFC game, and they have to continue to you know win those types of games in the conference to help their tiebreaker status. Matt, I, I recall saying a couple of weeks ago, and I want your your thought on this. When Grover Stewart got his suspension, you know, in a contract year, I remember thinking, man, that's really poor timing for this guy who's been a good player and a good citizen. I, you know, I mean, I think his teammate, good teammate, but in a weird way, it, it probably has kind of him not being there, even though that that's his own fault and it wasn't yeah. by strategy, might have actually helped his marketability, right? Because I think we've seen what a good player he's been for them and what a valued piece he's been, to your point. Yeah. No, you're exactly right, and it's funny. I mean, early on in the season, you know, I do a lot of these interviews, and I talk to a lot of, you know, I do a lot of shows, and, you know, people talk to me about what they think of the Colts, and, you know, broadcasters or analysts will come up to me, and I, I swear, for the first five weeks or so, everybody just kept saying, and your best player on defense that no one talks about is Grover Stewart. And it's like around here, we knew how invaluable and how important Grover Stewart was to the health of the rushing defense and it was just interesting and, and kind of fun for me covering the team every week to slowly see uh, other people in other markets um, you know start to realize just how good this guy was I mean heck even in Germany two weeks ago I talked to Mike Mayock before the game he's like you guys not having Grover Stewart is a huge loss you know you're watching him the first you know month of the season he was just dominant which he was so um, you're exactly right I mean I think maybe Grover Stewart, in a weird way, has kind of helped his um, you know, free agency stock uh, with his absence, knowing that the Colts have had just such a hard time and a lot of difficulties you know, staying in the game defensively against the rush. 
without him in the lineup. Now he's got to, as soon as he comes back, he has to back that up. But in a weird way, I do agree with you, Jake, that maybe he has um, helped his his stock with uh, his subtraction from the lineup, if you will. Voice the Colts, Matt Taylor joins us, brought to you by Shelly Materials, the concrete and aggregate experts. Matt, you look at the last couple of games, the touchdowns haven't necessarily been there in terms of the passing game for Gardner Minshew, but the accuracy and the situational passing has been there. You referenced earlier both the target shares and the receptions for Michael Pittman Jr. I would throw in Josh Downs there as well. They both got about 13 targets last game. What has led to that uptick in production from the wide receiver room, and is that sustainable for the rest of the season? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think it's just Gardner Minshew really starting to get comfortable within the offense and, you know, who his best playmakers are. You know, you want to you want to give the ball to the guys that you trust the most, and certainly right now it's it's Pittman and it's Downs. You know, it's Downs in the slot, it's Pittman on the outside and, you know, key situations, you know, red zone, third down. Um, and, and, again, that's why I say I want to see the tight ends get a little bit more involved to help the versatility of this offense. And, you know, to take it a step further, you know, in a game like this on Sunday, and I, I know you didn't ask me about this, but, you know, Tennessee is such a, you know, they're one of those teams right now where they've got a rookie quarterback, and I know they've got Hopkins on the outside. We'll see about Burks and his availability. But right now still, despite them being 4-7, and seven, they're still very much about Derrick Henry. And so they want to win this game similarly to how the Patriots wanted to win a couple weeks ago in Germany. They want to win the game you know, 13-7 to seven or 10-6. to six. And that's why it's, it's so important for Gardner Minshew to take care of the football, to not give them extra possessions because the possessions that they do have, Tennessee that is, you know, they want to go on eight and nine-minute drives and get touchdowns in the red zone. You know, they, they want to shorten the game and, and win nasty, if you will, early December football. And so, you know, Gardner Minshew has to do a good job of, you know, understanding where to go with the football, not put it in harm's way, and not make mistakes that help the, 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 the Titans shorten the game and put even more pressure on that Colts defense to slow down the run from Derrick Henry. Matt, if each time you said in the course of a broadcast a player's name, and obviously you are saying their name when they are making a big play, when they are involved in a play, let's just say hypothetically that each time you say a guy's name, you you make five bucks. That guy makes you five bucks, right? <laughs> yeah. If you were looking at your checking account right now, what player would have made you more money so far this year than you ever would have guessed at the beginning of the season? Oh, man. Um, to a, a guy that deceptively made me some dough. Correct. The guy that the guy um, that you never would have guessed at the beginning of the year that you would have been calling his name as frequently as you have. Man. Um, I mean, Samson ebicom has been really, really good, both against the run, just total pressures. You know, so we seem you know seem to say his name a lot in terms of just stopping the run and just being impactful on defense. Um, I mean, I mean, you're always going to say the names. You know, you're you're always going to say Buckner. You're always going to see Franklin on defense. Um, you know, man. Uh, you know, I know I had an answer for him last week as well. But Julian Blackman is he's always in there. Uh, Kenny Moore is always in there making tackles. Um, that's a really good question. I mean, I guess the guy that I'm I'm most um, surprised by in a in a in a way that he has taken on a bigger role than what I thought this season, and maybe this maybe I shouldn't feel this way, um, but 
I can only speak for myself is Dio Dengbo. I mean, I I knew that he was going to take a step this year, but he seems like he's really destined for you know ten plus sacks a year now going forward. Starting starting with this. Well, year, he's, he's starting got- to show why they went ahead and took him with right. the injury to to wait it out because he's clearly going to be. You know, he may not be a superstar at any point, Matt, but he clearly is going to be a guy that that you can solidly rely on, right? That's right. And and again, maybe it's shame on me because he had a really good end of the season last year. I mean, I think in the last four games at the end of last season, he had four and a half sacks, and he had six sacks last year, and he kind of is picking up right where he left off. You know, getting more playing time. He's, he's, he's turning himself, quite frankly, into a guy that you can't take off the field, whether it's first down or third down. You got to have him out there. And what I like most about where the Colts are at right now, you you asked about, you know, the, can you can you be real about this three game winning streak? And you can. But what you can be really optimistic about, and then probably the the area that has showed up the most consistently during this three game winning streak is the pass rush. And what I like is the fact that it's not just DeForest Buckner fighting through double teams anymore. You know, if you're going to double team uh, DeForest now, you got to contend with Evacom winning his matchups. Quiddy Pay winning one-on-ones, and same thing with Dio Dangbo. I mean, the Colts right now, they have four players with at least five sacks, and they're one of three teams in the NFL that can say that. So that's the part that I'm, I'm probably the most encouraged by, spearheaded by Dio Dangbo with his uh, career-high six-and-a-half sacks. But they got 15 sacks during this three-game winning streak, and they're pretty consistent. They've got at least four in the last three in each of the last three games. And I think that part should be able to carry over and going forward in these last six games, hopefully on Sunday. They're a banged-up offensive line. they got a rookie quarterback. They just switched out their left tackle. The right tackle's up and down as well. Hopefully this is another game where the Colts can feast on early early downs, first and second down, and, and take the opportunity to give the ball to Derrick Henry on second and third down away from them by being behind the, the chains in terms of down and distance when – when Tennessee's on offense. The other side of the question would be this. Give me the guy that you would have anticipated you were going to be calling his name a lot more, and quite frankly, to this point in the season, and I'm not talking about Shaq Leonard, but to this point in the season, you go, man, they need more production. Well, again, I just – anybody in that tight end room. I mean, Drew Ogletree, again, through I don't think any fault of his own. He's been banged up. He's missed the last two. Um, you know, Kylan Granson, I know he does a lot of the dirty work, right? And I think we kind of fall into that trap of if he's not catching four balls a game, then he's not having a good game. You know, he's still productive on special teams and he's still blocking his tail off in the running game. So you have to kind of take that with a, a grain of salt. Um, and then on defense, too, a guy that I thought would get maybe a little bit more run now, um, you know, or I should say, maybe he would have played more to this point in the season as we go into week 13 than what he has is, is Nick Cross. You know, and especially now, I think it was, to me, a little bit interesting how the Colts were going to line up on defense without Shaq Leonard. I mean, obviously EJ Speed was going to play more in that game against Tampa Bay, but I thought maybe they might experiment with you know having Nick Cross play that, that hybrid position that Ronnie Harrison um played a handful of snaps in against Tampa Bay. But really, I don't know what Nick Cross's snap total um, count is on defense this year, but obviously it's it's not very high. Otherwise, I wouldn't be talking about it. So just the fact that the Colts, you know, they moved up high in the draft to, to grab him a couple of years ago um, in the third round and, and gave up some assets to bring him in, 
And then, you know, they started him his first couple of games as a rookie. And really since then, he's been a really good special teams player, but he just had a hard time being able to kind of crack that code to play consistently on defense. So a little bit surprised by that, considering how talented he is and where the Colts drafted him. Play by play voice. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Colts, Matt Taylor with us. Matt, the tight end room for the Colts this year has been by committee, like it's been the last probably two seasons or so. I get it. There's been bright spots of where, hey, maybe this guy's going to be the tight end number one. And injuries have certainly factored in there. But that's a longer way of asking you and building off of Jake's questions about names that you've said more of on the radio this year, at least the last two games, I would argue, has been the rookie out of Miami and Will Mallory. He's seen five targets the last two games, two catches for 29 yards last week. I'm not trying to grasp at straws here. I'm I'm genuinely asking, with Mallory, is that situational, or do you expect him to continue to see about the same or more reps with this committee? Because situationally, it's been nice, especially on a couple of those drives against Tampa Bay on Sunday. No, you're right, and Gardner Minshew seems to like him, seems to have some trust in him because, I mean, to your point, and it's something that I was trying to allude to earlier, you know, when he hasn't played a ton. You know, he's been in and out, in and out of lineups. He's been inactive. He's been hurt. But when he's played, I think he's played five games, you know, for, for the amount of snaps that he receives, he's received a good proportion of targets, you know, in that playing time. Um, and, you know, at Miami, he was their leading receiver uh, his last year down there with the Hurricanes, and that's all pass catchers, all right? So not just tight ends. He's, you know, a really athletic guy, and we all know that about him. You know, it comes from a great football family. Um, and, and, again, Gardner Minshew seems to have a lot of trust and belief in him. And so I, just, I think you need that. I think you need just another option to help take the pressure off of Downs and Pittman within this offense, whether that's, you know, Pierce getting more catches, whether that's uh, Ogletree coming back or Mallory continuing to, to play some more um, and getting, you know, higher volume of the of the targets. Um, you know, they, they've got plenty of playmakers. They've got plenty of weapons. It's just trying to find uh, the best avenues to get those guys the football and to help them, uh, you know, move the ball efficiently. And to their credit, they've – I mean, the Colts, they've scored two, at least 20 points in 10 of 11 games. You know, there are only a handful of teams in the NFL that can say that. So – they're ultra efficient with the football, and again, right now it's it's basically two guys in the passing game. So every little bit is going to help, and I think Mallory is a good candidate to take on an, an even bigger role in these last six games uh, of his rookie season here. Matt, do the Colts schematically? Matt Taylor, the voice of the Colts, is our guest. Do the Colts schematically really do much different than what they did the first time around against Nashville, or do they look at it and say, you know what? It worked the first time around. Let's just go with that and and let the chips fall. Well, I think they're going to have to. I mean, first of all, you know, you go, it seems like forever ago, and and I had to think about it long and hard at the beginning of this week as well. But you know, week five, that was the game that Anthony Richardson got hurt. That that that's the game where he banged up his shoulder. So actually, Richardson started the game. Minshew came in got hot. I think he was like 11 for 14, if I'm not mistaken, um, coming in off the bench. And that's what Gardner Minshew does in that situation, right? When teams don't have all week long to get ready for his style of offense, the way that he plays, that quick rhythm, timing, passing game, he just gashed him. And he did a really good job of that coming in off the bench. And they're going to have to do some things differently. I mean, primarily because Tennessee's going to have 
Tons of game tape now on this offense. Got it by Gardner Minshew. They're going to be ready for him uh, in the way that he wants to play quarterback. But then offensively, or I should say within the running game, uh, you know, the Colts had a – they had 193 rushing yards. They had a season-high 429 of offense. That's just probably not going to happen this go-around, right? The Colts aren't going to flirt with 200 yards rushing. Um, Tennessee is going to have Tier Tart healthy and active in this game. He was banged up in the first meeting and didn't play. He's their stud nose tackle. He's going to make a big difference. But I think overall, schematically, you're going to see Tennessee play differently. You're going to see them – you know, get out of that kind of that basic, you know, over defense up front, and they're gonna they're gonna go probably into what has given the Colts a lot of trouble in the last couple of years that that pinched in defensive tackle look, whatever you want to call it, the diamond look or the you know I know Rick calls it the the bare front. That's probably what they're going to do, and they're going to be you know bounded and determined to not let Zach Moss go off on them like he did in the first game. You know, he had 165 yards. He had a 56-yard touchdown run in that game, um, so they're going to not they're 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 going to make sure that that doesn't happen in, in this game. And so I think the Colts, you know, that's a long-winded answer or way of saying I think the Colts are going to be, um, you know, sort of sort of they're going to have to 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 make themselves make some switches and some tweaks with their offense based on the way Tennessee is going to play them up front on their defense, making sure the Colts don't go off on them, you know, in the running game. Matt Taylor voiced the Colts with us. I know that there was no Juju Brents today, and, and they're still monitoring that. But in terms of this cornerback room, you only play what's on the schedule, but I think they've done a really good job the last couple of weeks. When you look at the the tape or the last couple of games on Will Levis, I know he's had ups and downs as a rookie, but how will he test this cornerback room on Sunday? Well, you know, he, he wants to he wants to push the ball down the field. I mean, that's that's his mindset. That's his makeup. And we, we've seen that at a small sample size. He's He's got the arm. I mean, he can make all of the throws. He's got a cannon back there, um, and he's courageous, right? He's not afraid to, to put the ball up. And, you know, to his credit, he's not thrown a lot of interceptions so far in a small sample size. I think this is going to be his sixth game. But, um, you know, give credit to Daryl Baker. Daryl Baker Jr. has done a really nice job kind of steadying, you know, his individual ship, if you will. Um, you know, had a rocky start to the year, started the first couple of games, then got benched had to come in in a pinch against the Cleveland uh, in that Cleveland game. We all remember how that went with the, with the back-to-back penalties there in the fourth quarter in crunch time. And he's done a nice job of rebounding um, you know, from that. And you talk about the, the names that I don't say. You're not saying a whole lot of Daryl Baker in a negative way because he's not, it's not like he's, gonna, he's getting beat down the field. It's not like he's getting um, you know, out of position and, and not making tackles in the box in the running game. Um, so he's, he's done a really good job without Juju Brents in the lineup. But, you know, from an individual standpoint, not having Brents out there, I mean, if he doesn't play this Sunday, that'll be five straight. He missed two games early in the season. I mean, obviously that's just not ideal for a guy that, you know, you drafted in the second round and you're, you know, investing a lot of uh, time and resources in. You're kind of pegged him to be, you know, a long-term answer, a starter, you know, within this secondary. Um, so it's just not big for his his uh, individual and personal growth, if you will. Um, but the, the interesting thing about Will Levis is, you know, the, the Colts, as I said, they're, they're getting a lot of sacks, but they're getting it organically. They're not blitzing a lot. They traditionally don't under Gus Bradley. Um, you know, they've, they've got 15 sacks in the last three games pretty much without blitzing. 
But Will Levis is, is pretty good when you don't heat him up, just like most quarterbacks. You know, his passer rating when he's not being blitzed is almost at 100, which is really good for a rookie quarterback. So I'm, I'm going to be interested to see, you know, knowing their offensive line is not the best and it's kind of banged up and you got some new personnel pieces in there at the tackle position. Is this the game where Gus Bradley kind of goes off script or you know, out, of, out of the norm where he sends extra people, he blitzes, you know, to the extent that they kind of did a couple of weeks ago against Bryce Young. We all remember how that game went. You know, Colts got they had five sacks in that game. They had three picks, two pick sixes. You know, maybe you do that again to a rookie quarterback that has shown to be pretty comfortable if he's protected and he can sit in the pocket and, and read and diagnose and deliver the ball with some accuracy. Matt, everybody gets excited about going to Nashville and all the live music there. Uh, have you ever been to this Brown County Music Center in Nashville, Indiana? I have. Well, who did you see? <laughs> I saw I saw Marshall Tucker uh, about two years ago, and <laughs> the vi- the venue was much better than the show. I'll just put it that way. Well, I heard the venue's cool, right? The venue's great. Now, it's did awesome. you go in? Are you like a big fan of the Marshall Tucker band, and so you went down for that, or was it like, hey, you had free tickets, let's go, and then you're like, yeah, okay. Uh, a little bit of both. I mean, you know you- – I'm I'm a big you know, old time country music fan, right? So I like I like the the genre of of Marshall Tucker. Um, so yeah, it was kind of you go for the nostalgia feel of it. You I mean obviously they only have one original member, and you know he didn't perform all that well that night. And but you know that going in, so you know it was it was basically you go to hear the songs, have a good time, and and then move on about your night. But have yeah, you it, ever, was, it was. Have you ever done live music in Nashville, Tennessee? I have. Yeah, absolutely. You know, Matt, it's amazing because you go, and I know it's like super touristy trappy on Broadway and whatever else, but it is incredible. I don't know about you, but my experience has always been when you go into these little honky-tonk bars in Nashville, and it's super fun and cool for sure, but man, you see a lot of like, you know, Jerry Lewis-style performers and country artists and whatever else, and invariably, I think to myself, how are these people not famous? Like, there's a ton of talent out there. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. Or you just think to yourself, too, when you're at some of these places, like, how many songs has this guy that I don't know? I'm I'm watching this guy play guitar right now on stage. How many songs has he written that I know of? And, you know, and and, and how how many of these bars within a block radius? How many people performing right now are going to hit it big Correct. within the next five yeah. years? Yeah, or you wonder too, like, I mean, I have no idea. When I was just rolling through there, you know, six years mm-hmm. ago, was there somebody I was seeing that now is like a main star and I had no idea back then, you know what I mean? No, without totally. question. Now, no, there was one guy question. walking around with a pet goat on the street, and he, it was a, he was a cute fella. He had a little jersey on and everything, the goat. And I walked up, as naturally anybody would do, and said, well, that's a cute goat. Can I pet your goat and maybe get a picture or something? no problem that's why he's here you know and the goat was friendly and then it was like five bucks and now i wasn't gonna pay five bucks to get a picture with the goat but i got a free pet does he tour in Times square <laughs> that's right yeah exactly just you know i anybody will do anything for you know you got spider-man walking around same thing in oh, Times yeah. square the whole yeah. deal right it's the oh, same yeah. it, everywhere it, right it, it's it's definitely turned into like las vegas light you know it's the last couple of times that i ventured down there and i probably won't this time we stay out by the airport and it's kind of a pain in the butt to get down to all that scene. You got to get take an Uber, and that that's just not my scene. I don't I don't travel alone. Uh, I get intimidated by it, to be honest with you. Um, 
So I, I'll need somebody to go with me. But the last couple of times I've been down there, it's like sorority girl central. Oh, it's, it's unbelievable. Uh, the, the, the bachelorette, bachelorette party bachelorette deal city. is. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And like, and here's the thing about those damn pedal bar things. Okay. <laughs> Every group that's ever been on one of those is convinced they're the first one that's ever done it. Right. Woo! <laughs> Oh yeah, that is exactly correct, man. That is exactly correct. And somebody goes pie, and they're they're playing party in the USA, and everybody's singing along, and you know, it's, yeah. Oh, it is. It is un. I mean, it is nonstop. It is a nonstop turnstile of it. No question. Woo girl, Jimmy. Woo girl, indeed. Yes, yeah. Matt, Matt Taylor, spot on with the woo girl impression. That is fabulous. Matt, enjoy it. We'll be listening to the broadcast. All right. I appreciate you guys. Hope you guys had a good Thanksgiving. We'll talk to you next week. That is Matt Taylor of the Voice of the Colts here, uh, brought to you by Shelby Materials.